Welcome, everyone, to episode number, I want to say it's seven, Cajun, am I right? You are correct. Let's go. There we go. One for one in a while. First time in a while, I've been one for one. Welcome back to Polar Opposites, episode number seven. I'm Spencer Byers, as you heard, along with me, Cajun Theru, Danny Castle, and Cajun. Big episode. We missed a week because of my busy schedule. Almost missed this week because of my busy schedule, but... Luckily, we were able to sneak it in under the wire, so a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to start off with the FIBA World World Cup. Coming up at the end of the month, they start off August 25th, ending September 10th, and this Canadian team, Cajun, man, oh man, does it look good. You know, I surprisingly put Dylan Brooks on my little list here of all the players on the team because he's a bum, but regardless, I mean... Hey, you know, $80 million dollar man. Yeah, uh-huh. happy for him. Happy he got the bag. Now he can go home. You know, they, of course, this Canadian team has got Jamal Murray, reigning champion, R.J. Barrett. I think the world of him. Obviously, he's had his struggles in New York. This year was a really good year for him, though. Obviously, Shaq Gilgis Alexander might be the cream of the crop after winning or after getting a first-team All-NBA nod. Cage, would you say that this is probably—I would say probably, but would you say this is the deepest team Canada's ever had. Absolutely. And it's not even close. Like, so I'm looking at the roster. You got Kyle Alexander. Then on top of that, SGA, obviously. Nikhil Alexander Walker, RJ Barrett. He had a great he may have not had a great regular season, but playoffs he showed showed a bit of something. And then O'Shea Brissett, my favorite, my my favorite $80 million man. Dillion Brooks, D- uh, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, an underrated defensive piece. Zach Eady, who's who's staying another year at Purdue. He's gonna I'm be a big body. That team. I'm surprised Eady makes that team, but he's talented. I mean, he's averaged over I think fifth, at least 15 a game, if not 20 a game for Purdue. He's seven four, big kid. Can't really shoot, but back to the basket. There's not a whole lot of guys better. He's good. Well, he does have a decent shooting touch from mid range. But in the FIBA, in, maybe in the NBA game, like he, it, like his slow foot speed will hurt him. In the FIBA game, not so, not as much. And then you got Melvin Edgem, Corey Joe, Canadian stalwart, like been there throughout the highs highs and the lows, as well as Kelly Olynyk, Dwight Powell, and then you got the cream of the crop again, SGA and Jamal Murray. Um, now. Canadian head coach Jordy Fernandez, in an interview with um, during a Jays game, said that they want to play physical on both ends of the floor and fast on offense and on de- and on, on offense and on defense. And I'm really excited to see how this Canadian team fares up because there is a ton of talent and. A new face and a new face in the rankings too in Jordy Fernandez compared to have compared to now 76ers head coach Nick Nurse. So the amount of talent here on this team on this team is like tantalizing and mouthwatering. I'm excited to I'm excited to see how this go, how this goes. The only the only kind of like eh, that I have that I have with this roster is that one Andrew Wiggins isn't on there and um, Brampton's finest Tristan Thompson isn't on there either 
Well, Cage, you do have to wonder, though, with the, with Jordy Fernandez being the new head coach again, recently just hired as Nick Nurse did step down, I think, maybe a month or two ago, just about. But you do have to wonder, though, how quickly Jordy Fernandez is going to be able to institute what he wants to do, right? Just because of how much time, you know, he'll be restricted to just because of you know, only being in the job a couple months, right? Like it takes a while for things to really acclimate from new to old. So you got to wonder how much of an impact Jordy Fernandez is actually going to have on the performance at this World Cup. Because again, a couple months in the job is not long enough to really, in my opinion, sink his teeth into what this team could be. And that's a fair point to make. But... One of the benefits that Jordy Fernandez does have is that he's a respected voice in the NBA circle. And there's a ton of NBA players on this team. One, and and even one that's been with him while he was coaching in Denver, in Jamal Murray. So it is going to be a quick turnaround and a quick adjustment process that and some adversity that Jordy Fernandez has to go through. But if anybody... But if anybody can, but anybody, if, if anybody can do it, I think he'd be the guy. And keep him, keep in mind too, he's a very well-respected guy, well-respected guy, one of the finalists for that Raptors coaching do- job before Darko Rajagovic got uh, ended up taking that role. But he's well-respected in the NBA circles, and given that there's a ton of NBA players on the roster, I don't think it's going to be as daunting of an adjustment process as people think it is. Maybe not, Cage, but how optimistic you are, it's kind of bleeding into me right now. Now I'm getting a little excited. I'm getting a little, you know, happy about this team. Because obviously we know how talented this Canadian team can be. You you went through the whole roster. I mean, again, SGA, first team All-NBA, Jamal Murray, NBA champion, RJ Barrett, former third overall pick, had a good playoff run, most recently with the New York Knicks, who made it out of the first round for the first time in a while. Like, there's a lot of reasons to be happy with the way this this Toronto or this Canadian team, pardon me, looks and how and good I, they could be. And I forgot to mention the most important people like and and I think like this has kind of been swept under the radar because of the amount of talent because of the talent that is on that roster. But I think the mainstays that have been there from time, Corey Joseph and Kelly Olenek, they're gonna play bigger roles than people think. And it might not be on on the court, on the court, but just teaching those guys what it's like to play at that FIBA level, because a lot of those, uh, a lot of those, a lot of those NBA players haven't really played that much at the FIBA level to the degree that Corey Joseph and Kelly Olynyk have. So having that sort of veteran voice, I guess you can say that, like in terms of like the World Cup and Olympic stage, in Kojo and Kelly Olynyk is going to be vital i mean experience is very important and canada's have a couple guys as you mentioned there with olympic especially that have the experience at the international level and we talk about a lot with guys like luka Doncic, the international level and the you know and and the nba level not the same thing different games almost entirely so uh, that's that is very good point by you very important that this Canadian team does have some guys that are holdovers from past Canadian teams that should be able to help out some of these young guys like Jamal, like like SGA, like RJ, to be able to do 
acclimate themselves properly to the FIBA style. But now on to another story that you and I kind of fell on to before we started up. The Orlando Magic, the ownership of the Orlando Magic has donated $50,000 to uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, uh, the Players Association was beside themselves that the Orlando Magic decided that this was a smart course of action with some of the things said by Ron in previous. I will not state any of them here because if if you know, then you know. If you don't, then just quick Google search of uh, of him, and I assume you'll find Mr. DeSantis's most interesting sound bites. But regardless, Cage, what do you make of the Orlando Magic not only donating fifty thousand dollars to Ron DeSantis, but I'd say NBA teams or any, um, I'd say sporting organization getting involved in politics. I, I think it's bad optics at best. At worst, it's it's kind of I, I think it's just bad business. What do you make of it? Well, you said it best. It's bad optics and it is bad business. But the Magic have been a, dare I say, like a, an interesting organization when it comes to politics. Because Florida has been a state in which they're, they're largely Republican to get that out of the way. Um, and uh, it was just yesterday that the Magic released a statement clarifying that $50,000 donation was made in mid-May before DeSantis announced his presidential campaign and was only processed at the end of June. Um, they said, to clarify, this gift was given before Governor DeSantis entered the presidential race. It was given as a Florida business in support of a Florida governor for the continued prosperity of Central Florida. Now, a quick Google search of DeSantis, and that's still not an ex- that's still not an excuse. But it is also the state of Florida. It is also the state of Florida. They're they're. they're Largely Republican, it's it's. It might be bad optics. It might be bad business in terms of like the structure that the NBA and the message that the NBA provides. But they're also in the state. But they're also in the state of Florida. But they're also in the state. They're also in the state of Florida. But then again, you never heard anything from the Miami Heat, and they're also in the state of Florida. So this is going to this is going to turn out. This is going to turn out very messy. At the end of the, at the end of this, because no cage, I, I completely agree with you that at at the very least, this is horrible, horrible optics, and it just makes the organization look, I say second class, but probably third class, and that is full of fancy dental magic who are already kind of seen as a not great organization. They've struggled to put winning basketball consistently in the state of Florida. They've had a couple great players, Dwight Howard, Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway, to name a few, and have not been able to capitalize. They have, they have a couple finals trips, but that's about it. And they, again, haven't been able to sustain that success. But before we continue on with the Orlando Magic being a interesting organization, to say the least, as you mentioned, 
I do want to mention something. Breaking news. G- genuinely breaking news. You and I are recording this, Cajun, at about 11.30 at night here. As, again, I was out all day um, recording or uh, play-by-playing some a hockey tournament downtown Toronto. Diana Taurasi has hit 10,000 points. Officially tonight, she's got 21 in the Phoenix Mercury 55-46 lead over the Atlanta Dream. And with that 21, she's hit the 10K mark. So big ups to Diana Taurasi, the first ever WNBA player to hit 10,000 points. And Tajan, I'm not sure there's anyone more deserving or even more likely to hit that mark than, than Taurasi. I know we don't have sound effects here, but bam, 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 bam. Um, you're you're but, your um, own soundboard, Cajun. Your own soundboard. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah! Uh, come on now. But um, it's about. To, uh, I'm surprised. Like in the history of the WNBA, to be the first of its kind to reach 10k points is a massive ach- accomplishment, and she definitely won't be the last with the amount of talent that's there. So. Big ups to her. Big ups to her. She's had a wonderful WNBA career, and um, all the best. All the best to her to end her career on a high note and for her future endeavors as well. I can't like we talked about this before, like how the state of the women's game has is growing, not only at the grassroots level but at the WNBA level. And game of women's basketball is in great hands here, and. Diana Taurasi's um, achievement right now, reaching 10K points, is a little bit of icing on the cake. I'd say it's the whole damn cake, Cajun, but regardless, you know, I just thought I'd quickly mention that, and it was I got the alert on my phone again as we were recording this at about 11.30 at night. But back on to the Orlando Magic, I, I think you and I kind of got everything out about about the bad business, but from a player's perspective, Cajun, I think this is another important point we should touch on. From a player's perspective, does this make Orlando, as much as it already is a quite an unattractive place to be just because of how bad the team's consistently been, they've been drafting in the top 10, it seems like every year for the past, God knows how long, at least five, maybe 10 years, since, especially since Dwight left for LA, for the Lakers, you know, does this make it an unattractive place not only to play, but to sign if you're a free agent? This might be a pa this might be an unpopular answer, but no. It doesn't make it unappealing. Two reasons. One, the state of Florida and how sunny it is. And how like the weather is. And taxes or lack thereof. Um so and Contrary to like what Orlando has done throughout the years, they actually have a solid foundation in place on the basketball side of things with Paolo Bencaro. Um, now Anthony Black's on that team, Franz Wagner. They got a ton of pieces alongside with the holdovers from before. From before, like you got, you still got Suggs there, Markel Fultz. You got a ton of intriguing pieces. On top of that, you're living in the state of Florida. Nice weather lacks taxes um i don't think this is really going to change much of anything like in terms of like players wanting to come there because other factors matter matter too when you mentioned about the when you did mention about the about what orlando 
did donating donating fifty thousand dollars um it reminded me of what jonathan isaac has done re as of late in the news um so jonathan isaac notoriously was known magic power forward mm -hmm. current uh, current power forward of the orlando magic um he made headlines during the bubble when he stood during the national anthem when his teammates knelt in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, now he's one, now he's built a clothing line, an anti-woke brand, might I, I like quote unquote for faith, love, and Americans. It's called Unitus. Unitus or what he he's like, I believe that values matter. And in today's day, when we do give our money to companies that don't support our values are co-signing their message. This was in an interview on Fox and Friends. Take it as you would. So what I wanted to do was give Americans freedom-loving, faith-loving Americans the option to buy with their values. Now, mind you, Isaac is a big Christian. And that played a factor in creating this company. And he announced it he announced a clothing brand on PragerU, which are more or less so known for, view, for expressing views that of the right, of the conservative side. So when I, when I heard of the magic thing, it reminded me of this and I'm like, why am I not surprised? Because I'm just not surprised at all. I mean, not much surprise. As you as you keep repeating, Cage, and I think I will one more time for effect, it is Florida. Now on to a little bit, well, actually, I'll, I'll go a lot farther north. The Milwaukee Bucks as an organization got called out. Not something you're about too often, Cage, about organizations getting kind of Targeted Serge Ibaka, former Toronto Raptor, NBA champion, champion, which the Toronto Raptors might I add. He called out the Bucks organization for not being particularly good at communicating, and that leading to his exit out stage left. Now, Cajun, what exactly did you make of Ibaka's? I'll say claim, but his his assertion that. The Milwaukee Bucks organization is maybe not up to scratch. I believe it. Because the same thing happened with Jay Crowder. Didn't really have much of a role with the Bucks. And Crowder was also sort of confused about like how that turned out. Um, big, big thing out of all of this, big thing out of all this was like lack of communication between those two, um, the front office, and Mike Budenholzer, who is no longer the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, now Ibaka. Now going back to Ibaka, he spoke to Shams from the Athletic on how that unfolded. He knew he he said he knew it wasn't going to have a huge role. But then even when injuries were getting in the way, his number wasn't called. 
contrary to what Budenholzer told him, and then it eventually resulted in him getting traded to the Indiana Pacers. And I qu- quote, he says, he said, I couldn't take what was happening anymore. No communications. When I go talk to the front office, they tell me different things. They love me, the front office. They want me to be there. They want me to stay. And when I go back on the court, it's different. I got to some point where it was like, I cannot take this anymore. I love this game so much, but if this is going to take my peace of mind, my joy, it's not worth it. I earn my respect in this lead. At least communicate. I'm not asking about playing. Just communication. Now, wasn't the first time Ibaka has experienced a reduced role in an organization because he did deal with this with the Clippers the season prior to that. But he also said the different the difference between that situation and the Bucks' situation was that Ty Lu kept it straight to him, saying he's gonna go he he'll he'll go in a different direction or he'll stick with you and and he backed up those words. So it's a it is a bad it's a bad look on that on the Bucks front office it's one say what you want about Ibaka as a player right now sure he's clearly lost a step or two or three but he's a veteran he is a professional and that and it and stemming from stemming from what what was going on with Jay Crowder and the lack of playing time he was getting especially after the hall Milwaukee traded for him. I believe it was like four second round picks for Jay Crowder. I believe it. It's a bad look on the Bucks front office. And now in terms of like managing personalities, Adrian Griffin, now the Bucks head coach, former Raptors assistant coach, has a lot on his plate. He, 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 he has to earn some good, he has to earn some goodwill with some veterans and Hopefully, hopefully this is the last we're hearing about this from the Bucks front office. But I believe I I, I believe Ibaka. I don't think there's much doubt about Ibaka because again, as you mentioned, he is a veteran of of the NBA. He's been around a lot. He's been with a lot of different teams, including Toronto. He was um, obviously with Milwaukee. He's been in lots of other organizations. I'm trying to think of others, I think obviously Oklahoma City. You know, he's been he around. Was Orla- he was in Orlando for half a season, which was weird. See, and I, I thought I remember that too. I was trying to remember some of the teams he'd only been there for like maybe a year or so, but he's been around. Like he's not a guy who's like, oh, I've been in three or four organizations. He's been in a, a plethora of organizations. So he also has that kind of pull where it's like, you know, hey, I've been a part of this, that, and the other organization, and this one has been easily the quote-unquote worst one. So that also may play a factor. Now, I'm trying to think of where I want to go with this cage game. We got a lot of topics. We obviously got to get to the Scrabble board. I think we're going to go to that after this, but I quickly want to mention cage because we talked about it not last week, two weeks ago, our last week, you and I were together. Bronny James had just collapsed at USC during practice. He had a cardiac arrest, um, was in the hospital or had been released from the hospital. One of the two. And we were just, you know, putting up our, our fists in the air and, and and saying, you know, hopefully Bronny's okay. Bronny is back home. Bronny is fine. They uh, the James family put up a video of him playing the piano at home. So Bronny is no worse for wear at this point. So good to see he is the favorite mom quote Cajun. She he's laugh, love, and living again. So now we'll see if basketball 
is next in his future. I expect it will be, but hopefully nothing like this happens again. But I thought we would mention that Bronny is back at home and is seemingly back to full strength. Um, I will say this. I will say this about the about it. It will be a part of basketball. Will be a part of his future, but it shouldn't. Because having a having car like, and this is just me saying just me saying this because I'm in my late tw- I'm in my late twenties. Like to think of an eighteen year old going into cardiac arrest. It's scary. It's unheard of. Like, I think basketball should be the last thing on his mind right now. Like, if it gets to the point where he doesn't play basketball for the rest of his life but lives a long, healthy life, then so be it. That shouldn't be the biggest thing. That should not be the biggest thing on his mind. Um, you got to focus on getting healthy. You got to focus on getting completely healthy. Basketball is just secondary or tertiary at this point. I definitely agree with you, and I forgot to mention this. I did want to continue on with the Sergi Baca quote. So before we get to the scoreboard, I want to mention this one last thing about Sergi Baca talk calling out the, the Bucks organization. You mentioned the Tyron Lou quote. I'm going to give it to you because I think it's a really powerful quote. I have so much respect about Tyron about Tyron Lou. Ty Lou is how he said it. He used to call me in the morning. Listen, Big Surge, this week I'm going to go with the young fellas. Ah, okay, perfect, no problem. Like it or not, at the end of the day, I have to be a professional. At least I know the next two weeks I have to work. And then something changes. He's going to call me in the office. Like the, and, and that just shows for him explaining it, I'd say, more so other people could understand what, what he meant by communication. It's even from, you know, the front office and the, the coaching staff having two different ideas. And that happens a lot across all sports is the head coach and the front office, usually the GM or president, aren't on the same page. And when that happens, it's never good. Never good for anybody, especially. But, you know, when the guy who's in the middle is getting pulled like he's in the middle of a uh, tug of war, it never ends well. Never ends well, and Serge Ibaka continues that. And it makes you wonder, like, I know the Bucks had a historic collapse in the player, a collapse in the playoffs, in spite of being the one seed losing to the eight seed Miami Heat, it makes you wonder with what not only Baca has addressed, but also Jay, but also Jay Crowder. Like I mentioned before, he was confused as as what his role even was. So it it makes me wonder: was that disconnect between the front office and the coach and and Budenholzer in terms of players' roles a driving factor? In in Budenholzer eventually getting fired because the more I'm hearing about this, the more I'm starting to believe that might be the case. I mean, it definitely could just be a, a cause or a, a, a double-edged sword there, Cage. That it it was that the the second round exit was not good enough, and that you know his miscommunication and and I'll, I won't say mistrust, but semi mistrust with the. GM and president of the organization caused him to be told to uh, pack his bags and go home. But now we will go on to the Scrabble board cage, and I got three names, and the first two I expect you to get. The third one, either you got it or you don't kind of thing. And I believe you can get it, but I'm not sure if you know it. 
So the first name, Cajun, are you ready? Again, I will quickly want to mention Cajun on the Scrabble board. And the reason why we can call it the Scrabble board is very simple. When we, you and I were in college, Cajun, we used to do our radio shows together during class. And if no matter where you were, especially if you were producing, I'd have to say and my favorite Scrabble board name, Cajun Thiru, Thenny Castle, and all 17 characters of your last name. So I've and had some does fun not, with that. And, and does not fit on any login. No, not any login, not a work login nor a school login, Cajun. So it's it's even funnier. But are you ready? 14 for 15 you uh, are. That makes you 93% from the line. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Three shots. All right. The, the first one. M-P-E-T-L-E. You got it, Cajun? My bad. Forgot my mic was muted. Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple, you are correct. So that makes you 15 for 16. All right, let's go to the next one. A-I-T-U-A-S-R. And yes, Diana Tarasi. Right and it is Tarasi who just hit the 10K. I thought you get the two, the first two pretty easy. Now this one, Cajun, if you get it. Big props to you. Are you ready? There's a hyphen in the middle. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. E-R-N-A-E-M-F hyphen. Okay. E-T-R-I-E-L-Y. I do have a couple hints for you if you want them. All right, give me one hint. He is one of the newest members of the Toronto Raptors. Wait. Wait Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Javon Freeman, Liberty. Oh, my God, Cajun, you just banked it. You're three for three today. That makes you, from my quick math, 17 for 18 on the Scrabble board. Well done. I'm surprised you got that one. Javon Freeman Liberty, newest two-way contract member of the Toronto Raptors, signed out of the Summer League. He played on the Chicago Bulls in that Summer League, too. He did. And he will be a part of the three two-way players that are on the Raptors roster, quote-unquote, in himself, Ron Harper Jr., and Marquise Noel. And See, the Liberty, Mar- part, the Liberty part was easy, the second part of it. And I was trying to figure out the first one. I'm like, hmm. As soon as you said the Raptors thing, I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. Who are you? I'm like, you sound familiar. You know, and you and I have talked about how much we love Marquise Noel. I will mm-hmm. gush over Marquise Noel anytime I say his name. It's hard not to right now. Man wishes Jr., he was on the Celtics. You know, Ron Harper Jr., former, I believe, Vanderbilt. Or no, was that Scottie Pippen Jr.? A lot of juniors now in the NBA. It's really messing me up. I can't remember where Ron Harper Jr. went. I'm actually going to quickly check with a little Google search about where exactly he went. Because I'm going to get a little upset at myself that I don't actually Rutgers. remember. 
He went to Rutgers. That's worse than Vanderbilt, in my opinion. But regardless, at least their football program. But regardless. And then Javon Freeman-Liberty, who actually went to DePaul slash... I'm not even trying to pronounce the other college, but he, he transferred to the Chicago-based school in DePaul. And as you mentioned, he played in the Summer League this year, and he played in the G League last year for Chicago's organization. He averaged basically 15 points and five rebounds a night, shooting 50% from the floor for the G League Bulls. And then in the Summer League, he averaged 21-4-4, and shooting 46% from three, just about 50%, 49% technically from the field. So he dominated the summer league, and the Raptors were like, give me some of that, and they added him to their guard depth, which right now is only four guys technically, and Grady Dick, Malachi Flynn, Dennis Schroeder, and Gary Trent Jr. Obviously, you got to expect that Otto Porter Jr., who's still on the team, will probably play a lot of guard as well because they have a lot of forwards and not enough guards. But regardless, Cage, with you getting Javon Freeman Liberty, you are now 18 or 17 for 18 on the Scowl Award. And to continue on with our jam pack show, looking through, I think I'm going to go with, I think we're going to Durant first. So, Cage, I'm not sure if you had a chance to see it. And if you, I, I, I do assume you did, but just in case you didn't, Kevin Durant was talking to the media. Wow, what a shocker. And they were talking, and he happened to give up the tidbit that he genuinely believes that the NBA could handle acquiring four to five more teams and adding them to the league. And I'm not going to say he's wrong, but I'm going to say I think that would be very ill-advised by the NBA as a business because that's a lot of players that you got to add out of thin air. And I'm not sure the talent is there yet. I think it's close, Cage. I think maybe two teams now, maybe two teams in, in like five years after after that, pardon me, and then if you want to add more after that, go ahead. But I feel like right now we're in that weird space where the NBA could probably expand to more teams, but like the balancing is almost right if you didn't have players like Kevin Durant jumping around teams every three or four years. But regardless of that, you know, I don't disagree with them, but I think it's more of a, you're right, but not yet. What do you think? Mm, I have to agree with you. Eventually, it'll get there. Just not right now. Mm. And And here's the thing, like, doing that all at once is not sustainable for the NBA as of right now. One team, it, it takes a lot to get one expansion team in, but five at once, like, come on now. Um, now, he is right. It will eventually happen. But the product of, of the NBA and the business model of the NBA has to be more sustainable for that to happen. And you're right, they're in a little bit of a weird place right now. And they're close, but they're close. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Maybe, maybe come 30 years, it's plausible, but not right now. See, I wouldn't even say 30. I think 30 is well into the future. I, I th- genuinely believe the NBA by, I would say, no later than 2030, there are going to be franchises in Seattle, in Las Vegas, you know? 
in maybe San Diego or somewhere like that, Anaheim, other LA type of organization, maybe even San Jose. Um, you could probably put another one in in Florida if you really wanted to. Put it on the South Tip. Um, you could if you if they do want to go to Mexico, put one in Mexico City. If you want to put another one in Canada, go back to Vancouver. Maybe Montreal could get a bid. You know, there's a lot of places the NBA could expand to. I'm not saying they will. I'm not even saying they should. But ironically, as I mentioned, Montreal and Vancouver, I use that because there are two preseason games getting played in October at the Rogers Arena in Vancouver and at Mon- at, Bell- at the Bell Center, at the Bell Center de Canada in Montreal. So, you know, I, I, I'm not even trying to say I have an inkling that those two places are even up for getting a new franchise cage, but... I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA tries to throw a, a team in, in in Mexico City, throws a team in maybe Vancouver or Montreal. Not both, one or the other. But, you know, I I expect by 2030 there's going to be a team in Seattle, there's going to be a team in Vegas, and then the, they got to figure out the other East teams because those, those are both West teams. They got to figure out who's going to go to the East, basically, in my head. But I guess we will see if, the NBA does make the decision to jump up to, as Durant said, four or five more teams, maybe more. But I expect by 2030, it'll be probably two. And that will be, again, Seattle getting back the Supersonics or another name. And then Vegas getting a team because everyone wants to go to Vegas. They're getting a baseball team within the next year or so from the Oakland Athletics moving. They got an NFL team from Oakland already. They got a hockey franchise expansion. Right, like they're getting all the major sports. NBA is gonna be the last dog to the bull, but they're gonna be there because they have to be, because that market is booming and everyone wants a wants a hand in it. And if the NBA is the last one there, that's a problem they gotta fix. So I think they're gonna fix that mighty quick. So by 2030, as I said a couple times here, they'll they'll be there. But now on to another interesting quote that was said today. As we record this at almost midnight, going into Friday, DeMarcus Cousins decided to open his um, yap about the Golden State Warriors. I even like DeMarcus Cousins relatively as as a player. He is a former Warrior player as he went on his road to win more rings on the bench. And he gave out the opinion, and I quote, I got to be honest, I didn't understand the Chris Paul trade. And then I looked at it as maybe this is just a contract thing. Maybe they wanted to, maybe they want to free up the books for next season. But as far as it being about basketball, the X's and O's on the court, I don't really see that elevating the Golden State Warriors, to be honest. And Cage, I'm not gonna say that's. I, I, I'm gonna kind of say it's a dumb quote, but but I'll I'll preface it. I don't think anyone could really elevate this. Golden State Warriors team, unless they're Kevin Durant, unless they're LeBron James, unless they're a game-changing athlete, no one's going to elevate this team anyway. Like, no one is going to elevate one of the best organizations we've seen in the NBA in a long time and one of the biggest dynasties we've seen in a while. Like, they don't need to be elevated. They don't. I don't think. Do, Do you agree with me, Cage? Do you think I'm wrong? Mm. Yes and no. Yes, because you need a special once-in-a-generation type player to, let's just say, to, like, 
elevate a franchise by one or two steps. Say from like a playoff contender to a championship contender. But the way Chris Paul's career has been, that might be the exception. Because look at what happened when he went to, when he got drafted with New Orleans, New Orleans. Now they didn't win a title, but they became more relevant. And that was the Hornets. Now, fun fact: he was drafted by the New Orleans Hornets before they moved to Charlotte when the Bobcats left, and then New Orleans got the Pelicans when they all rebranded. I know what a way to work out, but yeah, the Bobcats became the Hornets, and the Hornets became the Pelicans. Fun fact. And then. When he got traded from the Hornets to the Clip, uh, the Hornets at the time now Pelicans to the Clippers, the Clippers were not a playoff mainstay by any means. They were like the laughable losers of LA. You can argue they still, you can argue they still are, but now they've made playoff appearances, and Chris Paul played a big role in that. Now from the Clippers to the Rockets. Houston in their first season made the Western Conference Finals had and had Chris Paul not gotten hurt in, in Game Five, who knows how this would have turned out? Yeah, they, they might have been that that Houston team could have beat that Warriors team, right? So you're right and there, they, and 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 they could have won it all, which means Chris, the legacy of Chris Paul, not only Chris Paul but James Harden, would have been drastically altered. Now, Houston to OKC. And OKC was supposed to be a rebuilding team after they not only traded away Paul George to the Clippers, but also Russell Westbrook to Houston. They were supposed to be a rebuilding team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they got the fifth seed and lost in seven games to those same Rockets team. So Chris Paul elevated that OKC team who was rebuilding at the time into a playoff team and really and really like taught SGA the ropes to a degree. Now OKC to Phoenix. Phoenix also was not a playoff team. First season Chris Paul goes and gets in there, they make the NBA finals. Now they also benefited from a lot of Injury. They also had a ton of luck with other teams getting injuries, but you only play what's in, who's in front of you. Now Phoenix to Golden State. The way his track record has been, he has elevated he has elevated franchises in his first season, and with a team like Golden State that already has a otherworldly player in Steph Curry, his backcourt Hall of Famer, future Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famer Steph Curry. His fellow splash brother Clay Thompson, Donkey from Shrek, aka Draymond Green, who I know that you will hate hate me saying this, but he is he will eventually be a Hall of Famer. Ooh, um, you stink! Hey, <laughs> the Basketball Hall of Fame lets a lot of guys in. The hall, the Hall of Okay, not even very good. The Hall of Okay. <laughs> now the one bottom line is the Warriors are an organization that has won championships. And you're putting Chris Paul on that team that's notoriously known for elevating elevating franchises in his very first season. 
Call me crazy, but I now if y'all are betters out there, might not be a bad idea to put a futures pick on Warriors to win it all. Based on how Chris Paul has done in, in his first season at, with, with his new team. I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, Cajun, the most recent non-gambler, the person who has purged themselves from gambling with all the new betting sites now here in Ontario, Cajun, putting out a futures bet, eh? I, I like the sound of that. Like the sound of that. Now, we have two last topics here to talk about before we bid our adieu. I think we're going to go, the way I've decided we're going to go now, we're going to go to Damian Lillard. Now, since we last talked about Lillard potentially going to Miami, he he and his agent have been threatened about being sued, or I think it was sued by the NBA for tampering with the way they've been talking about the Miami Heat. They'll only go to the Miami Heat and all this extra stuff. And they both admitted that they will go through with the contract that he assigned with the Portland Trailblazers. And then to add on to that, there has been no traction in a deal involving Portland and Miami. And the reported deal that Miami was willing to give Portland goes as follows. Expiring deals, three to four first-round picks, one of the team's younger players, and possibly second-rounders and pick swaps. In this scenario, Heat guard... Tyler Hero would be sent to a third team. Now, we've talked a lot about the Lillard angle, about Portland being a rebuilding. He doesn't want to rebuild. He wants to win. Going to Miami will let him have a chance to win. He'll be the star they need beside Butler, who always seems to struggle during the regular season and then pop off during the playoffs. Same thing. Lillard is also great in the playoffs, but obviously usually has great regular seasons as well, implying he's healthy. But if you were Tyler Hero, how angry would you be cage because i'll be honest for for me introspectively if i was tyler hero i'd be pissed every single trade that involves my getting a star quote unquote involves him quote unquote involves me i'd be pissed i'd say no i i'd say trade me i don't want to be here anymore if you every every guy you plan to get involves me going then at least i want to pick where i want to go i don't want to go to these awful organizations that are rebuilding that's garbage i want to go to good teams like Boston, especially. Well, I don't know if Boston can afford him, first of all. No, they cannot. I can answer that for you right now. No, they cannot with that $60 million contract going to Jalen Brown. Yeah, but the delusional Celtics fans can only dream. Um, <laughs> but... I don't even think Portland wants Tyler Hero because of who they have in Simon, Shaden Sharp, now Scoot Henderson's in the fold. There's no room for Tyler Hero there. Um, That's what I mean, Cage. It'd be going to a third team. Who knows who that third team would be and what they would give up to then acquire Tyler Hero technically, right? So as Tyler Hero, I would be right cross about being mentioned all these trade rumors across the board with every guy who's seemingly going to Miami this offseason until it became just about Lillard, only Lillard. I'd I'd be like, no, trade me. I'm done. Get me out of here. I don't I want to go to a third team that I don't even know where I'm going. Okay. I want to pack my bags. I want to go 
here, here, or here, send me there. And obviously, I don't think he has a no trade, so obviously they can send him wherever they want. But that's the point, is if he requests the trade, then teams will try to trade for him, which means hopefully teams that he would want to go to will throw their hats in the ring and try to get him. Now, here's the thing. Now, Tyler Hero is notoriously known for taking out the Miami Heat out of his Twitter bio, so there is some truth to him being pissed off. So from the human side of things, I get it. Like, your name's been in trade rumors all this time, like, and you're a young player too. You're rightfully pissed. He's going to learn very quickly that this is a business, though. And your name's going to be stuck in trade rumors and all that stuff. So as much as it sucks, and he has every right to be mad, and he has every right to demand a trade, this is the life of a player in the NBA. And as much as as much as there's player a ton of player movement over this past decade, not and you're you're you could if you're not LeBron, if you're not KD, if you're not Giannis, if you're not if you're not Jokic, you're expendable. You're 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 expendable. You're expendable and. Um, and he'll learn this as as time go, goes for, forward. Um, that'll have that Ibaka mentality, mindset, and mentality that you're a professional and like you're going to have to take the lumps of being an NBA NBA player because you could be moved at any point. Especially with a franchise like the Miami Heat, who are very star driven. Yeah, especially under Pat Riley, the uh, current president, still at like. 90 years old and i'm not um, even saying pat Riley ain't a smart guy he's been a smart guy been a great coach was a great coach has been a good executive but you know eventually cajun sometimes you gotta hang her up and i'm not saying pat riley should but i think his day is coming soon and maybe eric spolster will make the same switch he'll go from head coach to to executive i don't exactly see that being the case but maybe that will be but see pat uh eric spolster is relative is still relatively young because so he got hired as a ha- kid. I know. We all think that Eric Spolster is some old guy. Nah, he a youngin. He, 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 he a youngin. And uh, in terms of the Pat Riley ankle, uh, ask Greg Popovich that. He's still coaching. Yeah, that, that that is fair. And they're about the same age. I do want to mention Eric Spolster as a young 52. And he's been the head, he's been with the Miami Heat since 1995. He's been the head coach since 2008. So doing the quick math in my head, that's like 15 years as the head coach. And he was an assistant from a while, like a decade before that. So he's been in the Heat organization for almost 30 years now. So he's been a, he's been around, if you will with this Miami team. And you know you're a good NBA coach, and you know you're good or an elite NBA coach when you survived the LeBron effect. Yeah, survived it and lived to tell the tale, Cage. Lived to tell the tale, did Eric Spolstra. And has thrived, and has thrived too, might I add. Yeah, I mean, couple-time champion. Can't fault him as an assistant and as a head coach. 
But on to our last topic here on Polar Opposites. Luka Doncic obviously will be at the World Cup playing for his home Slovenia. I also want to mention that I'm not sure if, if I actually in all occasion before I put my foot in my mouth, I know you know when he said that he'd rather win with Team Slovenia than win an NBA championship. I, th- I want to say it was either a gold medal or World Cup. I can't exactly remember which. I think it was a gold medal at the Olympics. That he'd rather win a gold medal at the Olympics for Slovenia than win an NBA championship. And I don't fault him for that because some guys have that real pride for them, especially in, in Europe, comparatively speaking to here. Where it was it was a gold medal. It was like he won an Olympic gold medal more than an NBA title. Yeah, which may be more prestige, especially for a guy from Europe, where you know the NBA isn't the end all be all, right? So respect to that, Luca. His former coach Rick Carlisle said that he believes Luca is going to win the MVP next year, this coming season. And you and I talked a little bit before the showcase that he's got a lot of competition, if that's the case. A lot of competition. Not, on, not only in the NBA, but on his own team. With Kyrie Irving being a solidified Dallas Maverick. Basketball seventh, Kyrie Irving. Um, dribble maestro, Kyrie Irving. Um, look, he's he's got the talent to do it. And it's some pretty high praise coming from Rick Carlisle, given how that may how his tenure in Dallas may or may not have ended in Dallas with um Luca being the drive and Luca may may Luca being the driving force behind that, maybe, maybe not. But um that's some pretty high words coming from a former coach of his. Do I think he's gonna do it? No. Cause there's a ton of competition. And it depends on Dallas's record. It is a very stacked West. It is a very crowded West. And Kyrie Irving is going to take some touches away from him, away from him as as well. Um, who my who would my MVP pick be if I had to choose one? A real way too early MVP pick, Agent. You're going to be mad at me for saying this, but the more I'm thinking about it, based off of the situation that this franchise is in right now, he's in prime position to get another one, Joel Embiid. Oh, how dare you? How dare you on our show, Cajun, say that? I might pull you off, Cajun. I might, I might have to sub you in. Well, here's, well, well, here's, the, thi- well, here's the thing. You could say it's Jokic. You could say Jokic. Probably. But I'm more... So- for obvious reasons, but I'm more so thinking like they're not going to look at the regular season as anything more than just a regular season. That's the only thing that I'm worried about in terms of Jokic. This is a pivotal season for Joel Embiid, especially after James Harden has demanded a trade. Now all the, all the focus and all the eyes and all the pressure is going to be on him as if it isn't already, it has reached peak levels right now. So he is so in terms of like opportunity, in terms of the position that he is in, it would not shock me if he won another MVP. Because at the end of the day, and I will say this, and I will say this by far, not even close in terms of the in terms of who's better, Jokic is better than Embiid. It's not close. But the MVP is a regular season award. 
and it is most valuable player. Not the most outstanding, not the best. It is the most valuable. And sometimes people do misunderstand that, especially in the media. Mm-hmm. They talk about who the best player is. And like, that's not the problem. It's the most valuable player. And value compared to best are two different things. Value is based on what's around you, situation. There's so many things that affect the value part of the MVP that people don't want to talk about that will affect the outcome. So and right and right now Embiid is value is maybe the most valuable player at, in terms of the regular season. Yes, especially to that Sixers organization who has and they've not had a very good off season at all. And it could so, get worse if Harden leaves, right? Which I think if I think you're right, especially and I'll we'll make sure I preface this. I think you're right with Embiid if and only if James Harden tra- is traded. Mm-hmm. If James Harden does get traded then I think you're absolutely right. And even if James Harden doesn't get traded, because now you're stuck in, now the Sixers are stuck in that holding pattern. And then the bigger question is, is Harden going to be playing at a laser focus level, given that he's dealing with that contract situation with the Sixers and requesting a trade? Then that puts even more on onus on Joel Embiid. And I think in terms of like, MVP odds that plays a fact that plays a factor to his advantage. Yeah, I also do want to mention your fun fact about Rick Carlisle. He was hired the same year Eric Spolster was by the Dallas Mavericks. He obviously been a head coach previously with Detroit, and then went to Indiana, and then was the head coach in 2008 to 2021 with Dallas and the Indiana Pacers. He's back with them, and I think that that is no coincidence that the Indiana Pacers are making their strides forward, Cage, with their young roster. Under Rick Carlisle, like he is a really good coach. Yes, you know maybe Dallas he ran kind of ran out of tire, ran out of, ran out of room, if you will, with that with that organization being because sometimes it just is change of scenery, change of the voice. Like that's where Eric Spolster again is so impressive. Of never needed to change the voice, never needed to change you know the locker room, never needed to you know really do anything like that. Spolster's able to keep everyone locked in and it still be the same guy, same voice, same messages, you know. And that's even more impressive. I wouldn't even say it's the same messages because, like, in the ever-growing, changing landscape of the NBA, you have coaches have to adjust on the fly. Otherwise, oh, you are going to be out of a out of a job. And give credit to Eric Spolster; he has adjusted on the fly from dealing with stars like Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh. Um, I had to mention the that Trump former Toronto Raptor. Yep, former Tor- Toronto Raptor and two-time NBA champion. Wherever he is, I know he was dealing with blood clots. I forced his retirement. Hope he's doing well and hope his family's doing well. Or or in the words of Ray Williams, I hope I hope you're doing well. I hope those I hope those that are, care about you are well and I hope the people you care about are well. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Thank you. Thanks for uh finishing that off for me. But um hopefully he's doing hopefully he is doing well. Well, um, with his family. Um, but mind you, Eric Spolstra had to adjust from like coaching up stars to now coaching Bam on a bio and Gabe Vincent and Max Bruce and, 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 Mo- and Caleb Martin and, and elevate and encouraging them and ultimately having them elevate their games at the at the, at the highest stage in Gabe Vincent. Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Celtics, Celtics killer Caleb Martin, might I add, and Duncan Robinson. 
fight. You're, um, you're lucky you're not here. Cajun's for the first time remote. He's back at home. Lucky he's not here. I could beat him up after this recording. He and I would have gotten a fist fight in the living room. You, you probably would have choked, uh, choked me out. Keyword tried. Celtics killer. Celtics killer. You mean the guy who went like 0 for 11 the next game? You mean that kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, you're right. We're not talking about Struis. We're talking about Caleb Martin. Oh, they both played bad in that game one. But anyway. Anywho. I mean, I mean, yeah. Uh, different series, man. Different series. And then Denver adjusted. Boston yeah. didn't. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, or Okay. Or Jason, or according to you, Jason Tatum's ankle got in the way, but I don't think that would have changed matters out. It it, it would have changed the entire game. But anyway, no, let's oh, not re- let's not rehash an argument we've had. <laughs> I feel like almost every episode now, because you have to you have to at least mention once the Celtics lost in the conference finals, and I have, then I have to mention that Tatum got hurt, and then we 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 retread those tires one more time, but. I, I do want to finish uh, Carlisle's quote, though. I do want to give it to him. He said, I think Luka is going to win the MVP this year. I think he and Kyrie are going to play great. I'm sure Don, Doncic is in brackets, but I sh- I'm sure he's doing all the right things for him. He's been on the cusp of being the best player in the world. He's right there, and I think he's going to be the MVP this year. That's high words. That's high I, praise. I mean, that is... Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can say it any plainer English than that, Cajun. Than than putting it the way he did. The Mavericks are ninety and seventy four under Jason Kidd, the new head coach since Carlisle left for the Indiana Pacers. Left, got fired. I believe technically the word was parted ways, but you never really know who parted ways with who, if you will. And I do also want to mention Carlisle is a twenty eleven NBA champion with those Dallas Mavericks as a as a coach, and then as a player he on ninety six with the Boston Celtics when he was a bench. When he was riding the pine for those Larry Bird-led Boston Celtics. So we'll see what happens th- this coming year for Carlisle and those Indiana Pacers that you and I expect will be a lot better than last year. And last year, they were a rather good team as well, at least relatively. They didn't make the play-in, but they still impressed some people, and I think they're going to continue to do that with their draft class. And obviously, Doncic now with all the eyes on him, and the MVP trophy looking towards him. And you mentioned that you think, Joel, uh, hello, my name is Joel Embiid. He's going to win the MVP. And that's just I, based off of opportunity that he's given. That, that is in front of him. And I can't disagree with you. But, and there is the but. I want to say Jason Tatum. And I will say Jason Tatum here. But I will not say that's my pick. My pick is not Giannis. It's not going to be Nikola, because I think the voter, I think the voter fatigue is going to start setting in now on Nikola Jokic. I don't see it being Curry or Durant. I see it being, and genuinely, Cage, you're going to yell at me for this one because this one is way off the board. Okay, think off don't, the board. Don't, don't, and let me take a wild stab here. SGA? No, no, that honestly, that's also not a bad shout. It's on that same wavelength, Cajun. It's okay. It, it's it is, I believe it is, Spinda, Donovan Mitchell. Now, oh, I don't that, know about that. Now, now, let me explain. Let, let me explain here. Now, the reason why I'm saying Mitchell, not only because it is an off-the-board pick, off-the-wall pick, if you will. He averaged 28 points a game this year for Cleveland. They won 51 games this year. If Cleveland expects to win 60 games, that means Mitchell averages over 30 a game. And maybe five and five. I think a 30 to 32, five and five season from Donovan Mitchell could get him in the conversation. Maybe not win it, 
because you got to think that Embiid's probably going to be in that 30 to 35 range. You got to think Jokic will probably be in the 25-ish range points per game. But I think if Mitchell can average around 32 a night consistently, I think Donovan Mitchell will be right there because I think valuable, again, we're talking about valuable players. I think, pardon me, if Cleveland expects to win a championship, expects to be doing well in the playoffs, and expects to have a good regular season, Donovan Mitchell is going to be the guy to do it. As much as I love Evan Mobley, I, I like Jared Allen. I obviously love Darius Garland. Who doesn't love Darius Garland? The, 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 the beautiful passer he is. But I feel like if Mitchell can average like 32 a night, I think he'll be right there, Cage. I think he'll be right there for an MVP. He'll definitely be in the discussion, but I think those guys, Garland, Jared Allen, and especially Evan Mobley, might hurt his case. Now, you mentioned something out of left field. I think my left field pick would have to be SGA. I mean, because, first team all first team all NBA cage. How far how far to left field do you think that is? One of the best guards in the NBA. Given the fact that he's playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think that is a little bit out of left field. He's not playing in a big market like say like yeah. Philly or LA or Miami. But, but think about it, Cage. He was first team all NBA on the tenth team in the West. If Oklahoma City's top five SGA implying he has a good season like he did this year or last year, I guess now, going into this year. But last year, for a 10th-ranked Western Conference team, if they're like 5th or 4th, he's almost guaranteed to get at least a couple votes for the MVP because who else is going to force them up the up the Western Conference? No offense to guys like Dort or my, the guy I love, Chet Holmgren. It's going to be SGA spearheading that, that, that run up the Western Conference table. So... I don't think it's much of a left out of left field pick just because again, if Oklahoma City is makes the jumps we think they can, it's going to be because of him. Kind of like how I feel like the same thing with Mitchell with Cleveland next to they're already a good team. It's making them a great team, if you will, a better team. Now this might be out of left field for me. Ooh, here we go. And I know they got a lot of stars now after they made this trade. Made the trade. Devin Booker. Yeah, you're, I was going to say, you had to be talking about a son at that point. Devin and, Booker. Uh, honestly, and, of the three cage, I think you're right, though. I think you're right. I think Beal's easily got the least amount of chance. Like, Bradley Beal, unless he averages, like, 28 and, like, 12 assists, there's not a chance he gets an MVP vote. And, Durant, and here, maybe, but I, I love that Booker show. That is, that is a good one of those three. And, and I'm going to explain why. And I will explain why. Um, Booker... In the bubble, showed some serious playmaking chops. Back when the when the Suns nearly made the nearly made the playoffs in the bubble by going eight and zero. When play restarted, now he still showed some serious playmaking chops, and was basically killing it as a scorer and as a playmaker. Now and his defense has improved to a degree. Now with Chris, now after two year, two or three years of being under Chris Paul's tutelage, if he takes that next step as a playmaker and say averages 27, 28 points per game, seven, eight assists per game, stuffs the stashy to a degree, and Phoenix has a seamless regular season and is near the top of the West, or is at the top of the West? It would not shock me if Booker's 
not only on MVP dis- in the MVP discussion, but it wouldn't shock me if he actually stole it. I mean, I don't disagree with you. Again, I think of those three guys, Durant, Beal, and Booker, I think Booker's got the best chance because of all the optics around Durant. And I just don't I don't think Beal's gonna have I think of all the of the, of those three guys, I think Bradley Beal's the third wheel. And if you're the third wheel, you're not gonna be getting MVP votes. I think and that's Beals, just the reality. And Beal has to make the most has has to adjust the most because he's been in Washington all his career and he has to adjust to a new team. Durant, he's more the that guy like he plays seamlessly within a team, but you need that you need that other dude. You like he more so blends in with the team's yeah, he system. He doesn't want to be the guy. He wants to be the guy beside the guy, if you will. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Opinion. So all that le- like Devin Booker's the guy for me. That okay. that my dark horse fit. Well, you and I took two shooting guards, but they're the opposite ones in the conference. You took Booker as your as your left field pick. I took Donovan Mitchell as my outdoor pick, and I got to be honest. If it's between Embiid and Nikola Jokic, I think Jokic wins that MVP easy, even though I know I'm talking about valuable versus most outstanding or, or, or most like I'll say most important, but like best player. I still think if, if it's between Embiid and Jokic, they won't make the same mistake twice. I think Jokic will get it because the assists, the rebounds, the points, just everything he does offensively is so good. But, but, so but, good. See, I, but see, I disagree with it because of the regular season narrative. Because now that Denver has won it all, Jokic and the Jokic, Jamal Murray, MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Michael Malone, Michael Malone, and the Nuggets aren't going to take the regular season as seriously. They want to stay. They want to stay refreshed for when it actually matters come postseason time. Now they have taste. Now that they've experienced a taste of what it's like to be an NBA champion. And I think that hurts Jokic's case because this is a regular season award. And Bede has still has something to prove. Jokic doesn't. And that's and that's what hurts him. Well, I guess we're just going to have to see to find out about Doncic's MPV bid, MVP bid, Jokic, and Bede, my boy Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Booker, Beal, and Durant out of Phoenix down there, and I'll say the sunny, the sunny capital of that very, very hot Arizona, especially this time of year. Jesus, you can't even go outside of this time of year down there in Arizona. My dark horse defensive player of the year, and this is going to piss you off, Dillion Brooks. And that is a, just a joke pick. We're not even going to – that doesn't count. That's getting cut from the – that's getting cut from the tape. We're going to cut that from the tape. I'm going to bleep that. I'm, we're going to bleep that from the tape, okay? So that didn't happen. Anyway, for Cajun. Danny Castellum. I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in to our seventh episode of Polar Offices. We should be back next week, same time, same place, here on the Outrage Inc. Peace.